This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And welcome, everyone. This is the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host, Callahan, and we have a great show lined up for you all today. Joining me this week, as always, is my good friend, Pongo. Pongo, how are you doing today? I'm good. Glad to be here, as always. And uh, we've got um, a a really nice treat uh, for you guys. It's somebody who's never on the show. Um, we, We barely know this person. And, uh, but, you know, he's gone on a tear at these, these CDH tournaments, right, Pongo? I mean, he's just gone crazy. Um, yeah, don't, don't remind me. <laughs> Let's not let it get to his uh, head. <laughs> uh, also joining us this week is our, our good friend, Spleen Face. Spleen, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. You know, a little sorry that I'm going to be disappointing everyone. They were promised a treat. Turns out it's me, but <laughs> they'll live. Yeah. Well, fresh off your uh, win, not this this weekend, but the weekend before uh, at uh, what's it called? Marchesa. No, it was 2021. Oh, I guess. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, But before we go into all that and we talk about uh, your your deck, why you went with it and how everything went down, uh, I just want to take a moment and thank everybody for joining us this week. If you like this episode or any of our other episodes, please make sure to like, subscribe, and comment down below to help out the algorithm and never miss one of our episodes. Please make sure to, um, excuse me, if you also want access to our Discord server, don't mind me just reading the wrong part of my script. (laughs) If you do want access to our Discord server as well as some extra content, make sure to head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash mindsculptors, or check out the link in the description. We also have a TCG player affiliate link. So if you're going to be looking to buy some cards as it looks like uh, in-store play might be opening up in the near future, uh, go ahead and check out TCG player uh, with our TCG player affiliate link that helps us out. Um, So jumping into some of uh, what it's going. So uh, as as we said, so Morgan, uh, you went to, so some background. So you played in you you won tier one con earlier this year. The, the uh, first one of, their, of the yeah they've had the first there, one. There have been three so far, and there's a fourth coming up in April. And I won right. I won the first one. Okay, and you were playing Razakets at that one as well, right? I was, yeah. Okay, um, and then the second tier one con, you just top four, right? Yeah, just it made forward, the finals, but, right? Yeah, he made the finals. Um, the Gitrug and, monster for that one. Okay. The third one, you made the finals as well, didn't you? Yes. Playing and Osri Beacon <laughs> of Hope. <laughs> beacon of Unity. Oh, Come Beacon, on, beacon of Unity, of course. Yeah. With with Zerda the Dawn Waker as a companion. Let's not right. get Zerda. Um, so there's... Okay. Hard carry so you did Zerda. That and then, yeah. <laughs> 
that that is that's such a meme of a deck. Um, because you did a poll for that one, didn't you? Well, so I did I did a poll uh for Gitrog. I did a poll which I just allowed the community to vote for like any deck they wanted me to play. Um, and Gitrog won by quite a comfortable margin. Uh, I think Gitrog had like over a hundred votes. Uh, Paco and Halden had like seventy ish. Uh, and then. Third place was Lavinia at 10. I know you tried. <laughs> I know you tried. But, um, yeah, so I wound up playing Gitrog at that one. And then for the third one, I created, I, I asked each of my uh, co-hosts over at Into the North to come up with some sort of challenge for me to brew around. Um, and then I let the community vote on which one of the challenges I would brew around. And I wound up being a companion that was not Gigantha. Um, and so it was either play some weird Zerda meme pile or play, um, a Kiri Miara Luris Turbo Naz nonsense. And I decided to, you know, I think embrace the spirit of the challenge a little bit more, um, and, and just go for, uh, you know, go for Zerda and actually build with a deck that, you know, could serve as an out build a deck with a commander that could serve as an outlet for the monolith combos. And, you know, I pulled those off once. So, so you just <laughs> didn't want to not play a deck with mana dorks is what I'm hearing. That's yeah, that's part of it. I didn't want to play with a deck without mana dorks. I didn't want to play a deck without counter spells. Um, and you have to do both of those things when you play Mardu turbo Nas. So gross. Hey, you get Pyroblast and Red Elemental Blast and Tybalt Trickery. You get three. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and you could also play Anatai. Oh, boy. Yeah, you could. See? There's For so many. Yeah, there's so many uh, you could Mark, play. There's so many. There's so many over. options. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so, needless to say, you've been on a little bit of a tear uh, here recently. And just recently, uh, you did win marchessa 2021 as we said and you were playing razaket so what was your decision going in to the the field that you said okay i want to be playing razakats right now so um in fairness i did also i played a single game on uh the thrasios and vile smasher uh deck that i brought uh so i was talking it over with uh sick robot my podcast co-host and he was planning on bringing Thrasios and Vile Smasher, and he went, what should my second deck be? I suggested Razakats, and I said, you know, I'm probably going to be more primary on Razakats, and I'll just take Thrasios and Vile as, like, a secondary deck. Um, and so the reason I really like uh, Razakats into, like, a an open meta is that um, you have... Basically, you have at least some amount of game against everything. Um, you know, when you play like Turbo Nas, if you run into, you know, the right sort of matchups, like some of the more, uh, like greedy, uh, or like mid-rangey decks, um, you know, so you, you can just win, like you can just get under them. They're all, you know, tapping out to develop their like expensive, you know, mana pieces or whatever. Um, and then you just go, you know, you cast Nas on like turn two ideally, but even sometimes turn three, you know, especially if you're early in turn order and, you know, you face one piece of interaction, you have one piece of backup 
and you're done and dusted. But, you know, when you don't know what you're playing against and someone might play, like, Deafening Silence or Collector Roof on turn one, you know, Turbonaz certainly has some risk. Um, and the same thing with, like, you know, the hyper-greedy mid-range decks. Um, if you run into, like, a triple Turbo Nas pod, it's not going to be great. Um, stack decks, if you run into the triple mid-range pod, gonna you know, it's not it's not going to be where... That's not where you want to be. Um, so, so I was just, like, looking at the deck. Um, you can play through most things reasonably well. Um, your win cons are decently accessible because like you just have uh, a natural oracle consult, which is like not that difficult to set up. Right. Um, and then you also have like greater access than something like a like a CST type deck. Um, I think that like the Razaketh and Villas gives you sort of greater access to your win conditions. Um, and then, you know, you also just, you get to play Thrasios and Timna, which means you get, Timna gives you early card draw, Thrasios gives you late card draw, and um, the deck is, like, very flexible and open, so, like, I'm playing, you know, Dranith Magistrate is obviously just, like, a great card, and Azar Hullbreacher and Opposition Agent, which I'm playing, but, you know, this version's playing Collector Roof, um, I toyed with the idea of even putting something like an Archon of Emeria in, or, like, an Aethersworn Canonist, potentially, um, because you can still Razaketh through them. Um, right, because you can just sack them. Yeah, you just sack them to Razaketh. Um, yeah, that's so nice. <laughs> and so, like, so, you know, that's that's pretty good if you're playing against, like, Turbo Nas decks and you just have, you know, you, you play your your Rule of Law Hate Bear, but, like, it doesn't really shut off your own win con. Um, but I, I eventually decided against that because, um, like, it, it, it's still inconvenient to put in like an Aethersworn Canonist or something, you can't naturally Oracle Consult. Oftentimes you want to be, like, developing a little bit more than that. Like, you might want to cast, say, a Tutor and, like, an extra... You know, it's it's turn five, you have, like, seven or eight mana. You might want to, say, cast a Tutor and then also, like, play the Mana Dork that you drew off your Timna trigger. Um, and so I just... I only went with Collector Roof, which... Um, like, it shuts off Lion's Eye. It shuts off, obviously, like, the four generically good mana rocks that almost every deck runs that you're running. It also shuts off Lion's Eye Diamond, but Lion's Eye Diamond's really only used with Razaketh. So, like, then it's not an issue because you can just sacrifice the Oof. Um, so it just, you know, it allowed me to put in, like, some early plays that were very strong against Turbo decks. Um, sometimes I was able to just win quite early, um, you know, sometimes I was just playing like, uh, playing a little bit more of a controlling role, maybe try and land like an opposition agent or a hull breacher. Um, and then, you know, use my commanders to draw controlling aspects, things like that. Um, so it's just a very flexible deck that I think is there's, you're never thrown into a pod where you go like, I can't win this game. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I can definitely feel that, uh, you know, I, I can speak from my own experience playing in Legacy and a lot of people, I think, you know, historically can probably point to like similar decks in Modern. Um, in, in Legacy, I used to play Stoneblade and like a big draw of that deck for me, you know, was playing Counter Magic, playing Thought Seizes, having some really powerful threats. 
um, you know, having like in, in True Name Nemesis and and uh, Stoneforge Mystic and stuff like that, you know, having kind of just like this really solid rock of a deck, um, you know, jamming that, having kind of like game against anything that people might play, even if you're not necessarily like favored against anything, uh, you know, it's it's a good feeling and certainly it's the type of situation that rewards like really tight good play and so you know I, I think i can understand where you're coming from in that respect but obviously uh you know if you're bringing a deck like that you, there, there's like a second piece right and that's that you have to actually play the deck well <laughs> yeah i mean certainly that's um that's historically been an issue with with razakats as a deck um i think it's actually like certain parts of it have become a lot easier. Um, like, mm-hmm. it's no longer hard to do Razaketh combos, which is nice, because that's, like, one part of the mental load that you just don't really have to worry about anymore. Um, before the printing of Oracle, it was like, you know, you, you had to, like, re- check exactly, you know, the baseline was, was like, 20 life for for like either the one creature right. one mana line or the like two creatures no mana line right something like 20 life and then you know if you if like one of the pieces of that was in the graveyard then all of the pivots needed like extra mana or six extra life or you know whatever or then then you were doing the math on like is it cheaper for me to try and assemble bomber man than just than just go for like the the leon and relic order combos um and so all of that is just sort of like that that difficult part of the deck and like keeping track of where the important pieces are and like whether or not you can actually win with the resources you have um, is kind of a non-issue now because Oracle is just so, so easy to win with. And, right. um, and so now you just have to focus on like the the more normal aspects of playing the game, which is like, what are my opponents doing? What are the threats here? You know, do I have answers for the threats? Um, you know, how am I getting myself ahead? Which is which is still not necessarily easy. Like compared to some of the more linear decks, um, where it's just like I'm gonna try and jam a win super fast. If I get there, great. If not, I lose. Like obviously, there's just there's fewer play decisions that wind up being made. Right. But. Um, I think, like, Razakats used to have sort of a double whammy of, like, you had to figure out what your role was and how you could fulfill it in the game, um, which is kind of true of all more mid-rangey decks, I think. Um, and it was even true of something like Hulk to a certain extent. Um, just the more flexible your deck is, the more thought you have to put into, like, how you're going to play this game. Um, but now the the like load on Razaketh of like how do I actually win the game once I get Razaketh into play um has sort of been been very much alleviated. Right. And and that deck, I think, as far as Thrasios and Timid decks go, like you kind of touched upon the fact that it has a little bit more of like a critical mass of kind of like threats, which I'm a big fan of. But like what it also gets on top of that, I feel, is like a great deal of resilience, just because like it, it it has so many it can take so many shots. If we compare that to something like like CST, um, which has like a tendency to kind of like not necessarily have quite as much like in the way of backup, 
you know, if it goes for its win and like doesn't quite get there, it's left scrambling a lot more than something like Razakats does. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, if you have a hand that's like all in on sure on some yeah, yeah. plan, certainly, you know, getting there are times when you go like if this gets countered, I'm in a really rough spot. But um, yeah, I mean, one of the big things about sort of reanimation as a combo is that um, typically if your reanimate spell gets countered, it's like it's easier to set up the second one than the first one. Right. As long as there's not like a death rate shaman or something. Because, right. You know, you've been bidding Razaketh is almost as hard as like finding uh, a way to get him out of the bin. And yeah. so if your way to get him out of the bin is countered, then, you know, it's only half as hard. You only have to find a way to get him out of the bin. You don't also have to get him into the bin again. Uh, yeah, somebody who, uh, nice. you know, to, to return to Legacy as an example, like I play also Reanimator in Legacy. Um, it's definitely very much worth considering against that type of matchup, whether or not you're countering the thing that puts the card or, into uh, the graveyard or the reanimation spell. And I think in CEDH, the answer is like 100% the thing that puts it into the graveyard because there's like so much less redundancy on that effect compared to yeah. the reanimation spells. I think, I think I did also benefit a little bit from maybe some people's inexperience because I think uh, like thinking back on some of my games, people were like pretty cavalier about especially survival of the fittest. Um, yeah, counter that was card. Was a card that I actually don't think ever got countered. Um, counter that card games, which <laughs> i mean you know i i can never be sure if people just didn't have anything right um but like there were some hands where i sort of went like well i guess you know i have a way to find survival of the fittest which is like a one card you know it's a quote-unquote one card combo because um with either spellseeker or uh, loyal retainers which we'll probably talk about more later um, you know, you can search for your Razaketh, put it in the graveyard, search for something that lets you get it out of the graveyard. Um, but like, you know, if I enlighten tutor for survival of the fittest in the end step and then untap and play survival of the fittest, like it's, <laughs> it's definitely like, okay, are these people going to counter it? Like a lot of people don't counter it, but are they going to counter it? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I, again, I'm, I'm not, not sure if my opponents didn't have any thing but there were definitely games where my opponents had stuff after i landed a survival of the fittest and right. didn't interact with survival of the fittest um and that just you know makes it so easy to like not only can you use it to actually just get useful things like you can use it to get Hullbridge for an opposition agent or like collector roof right. magistrate gilded drake whatever i mean even oracle conceivably um it also just like as as you said, it's you know countering like an entomb is is almost better than countering a reanimate because the deck just doesn't run that many ways of truly getting the cards into the graveyard. Right. Um. So so it's possible that you know a, as people saw the deck more and more, they might uh they might develop a more healthy respect for um for the cards that put things in the graveyard as opposed to the cards that get things out of them. And this is really a, a deck um, that I think I'm thinking like back to um, before Thassa's Oracle, right? Um, and when flash was still around, I saw a lot of this deck still would still go around and it was, excuse me, like often, 
a decent counter to a lot of like the flash decks going around at the table. And, you know, some people who are newer to CEDH who may not have played during those times, uh, <laughs> definitely might not be aware of how good like the Razaketh stuff is. Well, so I, I think that like, as Hulk became more and more dominant, um, like Razaketh, obviously it couldn't beat Hulk at Hulk's game. Um, right. and then as the, the meta almost turned into like a true dichotomy of Hulk decks and decks playing Hulk hate. Right. That just became more and more true. Like graveyard hate. Yeah. Cages rest in pieces. Mm -hmm. Like all of that was just everywhere. Um, even to an extent, uh, curse totem or like, uh, yeah, Linvala. Um, as that became like more and more prevalent, I think Razaketh was in many ways punished a lot more than Hulk was by the prevalence of those cards. Um, which which sort of made the deck fall off in popularity um, because it you know, it was attacked by all the stuff that attacked Hulk, but it didn't have the, like, just... I can't stress how obscenely strong Flash... The combination of Flash and Hulk was. Um, you didn't have that to, like, compensate you for the fact that pretty much everyone looking to add hate pieces into your deck was looking to add hate pieces that directly countered what you were trying to do. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So, you know, we're talking about uh, Razakets and we're looking at your list. So there's some interesting uh, decisions you made because this is the uh, cheese ball list, correct? No. The CB no, list? No, no, no. Uh, cheese Rush is the Thrasios Vile list. Um, CB is actually short for Cat Burglars, which was oh, when okay. I first made Razaketh, I was working with um, Null, my podcast co-host, and we were trying to fit as much of like the Opus Thief package in as we could. Um, right. And that sort of slowly got taken out. Like, it, it was on, like, Narset, it was on, I mean, Alms Collector at the time, because, like, Hulpitcher didn't exist. Right. Um, Right. And so it was on more wheels, like we were on Whispering Madness. Um, and then that sort of slowly got paired back over time. Um, but the list was, someone suggested calling the list Cat Burglars, because um, it was like, you know, Thief plus Razakats, like Opus Thief right. plus Razakats, you know, Thief plus Cat. Um, and then when I moved it over from Moxfield, I was lazy. And just <laughs> <laughs> like, or sorry, moving so, over to Moxfield. I, yeah, I, it was like, I, w I was actually, I was moving it over because I wanted to fork it. And then I was working on like a different version of the list. So I just like called it CB because I wasn't playing a ton of it at the time. And I like, it was like, oh, this doesn't really matter. Um, cause I was right. like, workshopping a much more creature focused version of the list. Uh, so it was like, I'll just copy this to Moxfield and then clone it and then make the like theoretical changes. Um, but then I sort of did start playing it more and more and just never got around to like <laughs> changing that, I guess. Right. So, so just kind of looking at some comparisons because I think people are going to look at your list. Um, and there are some decisions that you made that are very different than uh, the, general Razaketh uh, decision-making um, and I'm whether or not that's, you know, 
you've had success with it. So, um, you know, we look at shapers list on the database is playing stuff like Luris, REX salvagers, consecrated Sphinx, Jingataxias, and you are running way more. I mean, you're 24 versus 25. So you aren't running the, the Sphinx is the big difference, but you don't have salvagers. You're playing Villas instead of Jingataxias. Um, and you're playing loyal retainers, which is a big, uh, Big shift. So starting with the decision to play no consecrated Sphinx in Villas over Jenga Taxius, what is the thought process there? Um, so I've just never been super impressed with consecrated Sphinx. Um, I find it's like, it's too easy to lose after landing it. If you like spend a lot of resources landing it. Um, Mm -hmm. and like, yes, it's castable theoretically. Um, but honestly, it's like not that much more. I, I find it's not given like the prevalence of in particular um, blasts. It's not that much more castable than the eight drops because it actually eats like a lot more counter magic than them. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, lists are running like force of will counters it um, packed counters it. But people generally don't want to be packing defensively. Um and then like mana drain counters it. And then there's not a lot of lists running things like delay, running things like uh, like just regular counter spell. Um, so if you look at some typical Grixis list, it's going to have like basically two cards that counter Razaketh or Villas. And it's going to have probably four mm-hmm. cards that counter Consecrated Sphinx. Um, so I, I just didn't sort of love it. It was, like, underwhelming as a reanimation payoff, um, and and then, like, not great to be casting. And the deck has, like, slowly shifted away from having just a, like, you can sort of do a density-based reanimator deck where you just have a bunch of, like, looting, and um, then you, essentially, you plan on every game naturally drawing in to one of your targets and then just discarding it rather than somehow tutoring it to the graveyard like in tomb or you know survival of the fittest something like that um and the deck has been sort of slowly shifting away from that and so most of the time i'm not like most hands i'm not super interested in naturally drawing reanimation target Mm -hmm. um so having three seemed less necessary um, I have also been working on a list that, like, it was basically, if, <laughs> if I was working on a list that was basically for the opposition agent meta, um, that was, it was running, like, I think I went up to, like, five reanimation targets, um, and just a lot more looting and, like, digging, and essentially the idea there was you wouldn't have to tutor something into the graveyard, um, but that's not really the meta we wound up in. Like, obviously, Opposition Agent is a card, but... Um, it's I'm, not as omnipresent you know, as we originally expected it might be. I, I mean... It's, I, it's know, not still... Turbo Agent, the meta, yeah. right? Like, um, and then, so the Villas versus Jinkataxias thing is something that I've gone back and forth with um, the authors of other Razakats lists. And I still think it's true that I have never in my life, untapped with Villas and lost the game. Um, and so my view is that 
Like, if you untap with Jenga Taxis, you win, right? Because you've drawn seven cards, and your opponents all have no cards in hand. But if you untap with Villas and win anyways, then it actually doesn't matter that, like, Jenga Taxis doesn't do Jenga Taxis better than Villas does. But with Villas, if you, especially with Life Death or, like, actual Reanimate, as opposed to Animate Dead and Necromancy and Dance of the Dead... Um, you you draw cards immediately, which means right. some amount of the time you actually win the turn you reanimate it. Um, and so until I untap with Villas and lose a game, basically the way I see it is that when Jenga Taxius works, Villas also works, except Villas sometimes works where Jenga Taxius wouldn't. Interesting. is also a lot cooler. I'm just saying. Yeah, that that helps. Yeah, um, like it's also it's flavor you, text is way cooler. It's like, also a lot more castable. Um, both being not being blue and costing two less. Right, Pongo, you said something in your iconic video about what was it? Villas doing his best <laughs> the impersonation best of, of Crystal Brand. Brand. Yeah, <laughs> you know he's not quite as powerful as Razaketh. Like Razaketh is probably like the more obvious comparison to Crystal Brand, even though Villas right. like draws cards. And, like, you know, you might want to compare him to Grizzlebrand from that perspective. But, like, in terms of reanimation targets that are kind of, like, I would say top of the format, best thing to be reanimating, um, mm-hmm. you know, Razaketh probably <laughs> takes the... He definitely takes the cake there. Um, definitely, definitely excited to uh, jam a couple games, I guess the first few days of April on CDH Nexus. Uh, some cards are unbanned and Grizzlebrand is one of them. I'm going to do oh, games boy. with Grizzlebrand in this deck. Oh boy, it's going to be good. Yeah, I mean, that's like the whole reason why I Bye, built Like, <laughs> I, I built it just so I could play Grizzlebrand somewhere, right? Like, <laughs> you you haven't felt what it, what it, you haven't really felt like powerful magic, I think, until you've put Grizzlebrand into play and just like drawn seven cards you know either have like like a bunch of unmasks to like absolutely tear apart their hand and like lotus petals and took up all therapies or like you know like what i did like way back in the day which was just like drawn to force of wills and then you just have like you know a seven seven flying life link <laughs> and you're just drawing seven cards every turn and drawing force of wills. i have uh i have some friends here in the uh, lincoln meta who win that uh neo brand deck first hit the scene they were jamming the hell out of that deck um and it was honestly one of the craziest because he just like oh hey there's an allosaurus shepherd on the or allosaurus rider on the on the battlefield huh oh they have neoform wonder what they get oh they're getting gristlebrand cool yeah i mean <laughs> it's turn one <laughs> gristlebrand is uh you know there's a reason a why we call, him, we call him Gristle Daddy, right? You know, the Gristle Father. He he is my icon on Twitter right now for a reason. Um, but anyhow, so you've been you've been doing Villas over Jingataxius, and uh, that's a decision I, you and I have talked about that too, and in, in in private to some great length. But so the interesting thing here. Um, and I can kind of make the connection where it's filling the role. So you're playing Eternal Witness over Luris, um, and then you're also playing 
Royal retainers instead of Ariok salvagers. Is that are those the swaps that I am I getting that correctly? Uh, the loyal retainers is kind of in over necromancy more than salvagers. Okay. Um. So so I mean we I'll I'll start with um eternal witness Luris because I think that's sort of the the easiest one we can just get that out that's, of the way. And that's what we want to know about. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, <laughs> there's there's a couple of reasons to play Luris and the. I mean, the most obvious one is that um, you can use it multiple times, so you can get back multiple things. Um, people have pointed... Well, the biggest thing that people have pointed to is is um, obviously Mystic Remora, right? Like, just buying back Mystic Remora repeatedly is... is well, I thought the most so. obvious reason is that it's a cat, right? Yeah, that that's not... That's, <laughs> that is one of the reasons, um, because unfortunately my Razakats list no longer has any cats in it, um, which is kind of a problem. Ripley and Relic Order. Yeah, I'm not playing Leon and Relic Order though. Um, yeah, I said Rip. Oh, oh, I thought you said likely. That's Relic that's Order. the the <laughs> usual deck that that, that, that was the original Leon and Relic, yeah, yeah. Relic Order. Um, I I actually there was a while when it was more wheel focused, where like Alms Collector is also a cat. Um, but uh, so <laughs> so I remember joking that like my Razakats list could like everyone only was playing true one. Cat and I was playing Razakats because I actually had two cats. <laughs> Right. Um, <laughs> I, I actually but, uh, have my own branch, which is called No Fat Cats, and it has no cats in it. Um, and it it's also slimmer. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, you can use it multiple turns. Uh, it's obviously also very good with um, Animate Dead and Dance of the Dead. But I sort of found that there just wasn't, like, that much that I really wanted to be playing out of the bin that often. Um, like, getting back Mana Dorks. Like, Mana Dorks just don't die that much. Um, and like, it, it looks like a very good Timna attacker. Um, but unfortunately it's only good Timna attacker if you actually don't care about it because two toughness just means that it dies very easily to a lot of things. Um, and so it, it's like harder than you might think to attack and connect repeatedly. Um, right. Like it's, it is quite easy to kill if someone decides that they're like motivated enough to kill it. So... You know, you're staring down a dark confidant, and you're like, "Okay, I guess I have to make a decision here," and um, and and so like the stats aren't great, um, and then I mean, I I like the utility on Eternal Witness, um, in buying back. It obviously it just buys back way more different things, um, and you can use them later. Um, I feel like one of the things I buy back weirdly often is silence um like i've sometimes had it in my hand and gone okay here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna try silence with like double counter backup and if it goes through i win and if it doesn't go through i'll e-wit it back and i'll try again later um but the the big so that's like the you know the case for the utility of eternal witness is just it's obviously way more flexible um but the biggest reason that I play Eternal Witness and not Luris is that I don't want my combo to lose to Dranith Magistrate. Um, and, mm. and so, yeah, part of the part of the sort of baseline Razakats combo is that you get Lion's Eye Diamond, you crack it, you get Eternal Witness or Luris, you cast it, replay the diamond, sack the Eternal Witness or Luris, and go get a reanimate spell that costs less than three. Um, so, like, let's say you get Animate Dead, then you crack the LED for black, you Animate Dead the Eternal Witness, 
and then you get the LED back. And so you can essentially, for every reanimation effect you have that costs less than three, you can net some amount of mana. And uh, and so, like, you you know, you chain through that until you build up the mana to cast your Oracle or whatever. I mean, that's usually what you do, but if Oracle's off the table to set up your other win. Um, but obviously, since Luris makes you cast it rather than returning it to your hand... Um, you can't do that if there's a Draneth Magistrate out, which means that then you need extra mana or extra creatures or extra something to be able to actually win the game, um, which which was something that I, I really wanted to avoid. Um, I I quite like the fact that with this deck, you can get your... You can often... Like, Thressus and Timnar are some of the easiest commanders to get out under a Draneth Magistrate. And so if you can land... Even if you only land one of them, a lot of the time, you land one... Draneth comes down, and then you can win through that. You have one of your commanders that's drawing you cards, and you can win through the Draneth Magistrate, so you don't even feel pressure to, like, get rid of it. Um, you know, like, there's some decks that can, like, theoretically win through Draneth Magistrate, or, um, like, even even something like Timnacrom, where, like, ostensibly you can ignore Draneth Magistrate a lot of the time. Um, it, it obviously shuts off Breach, and also, like, you're decently likely to not have one of your commanders in play on turn two when it comes down. Like, if you were playing, you know, Mana Rocks or things like that. Um, and so you're like, okay, maybe I'm not going to dedicate a lot of resources to removing this Draneth Magistrate. But, like, I'd like it to be gone. You know, if I, if, if I see an opportunity, like, someone's casting a wheel and I have a bounce spell. Like, I'll, I'll just bounce it, it'll get discarded, and then, you know, now I can, I'm somewhat unlocked. But I like the fact that in this deck, like, if I had a bounce spell and there was a wheel on the stack, and I had, let's say I had Thrasius in play but not Timna, like, I probably just wouldn't bounce a Draneth Magistrate, and I would leave it in play locking out two of my opponents. Um, and I just like being able to ignore it that way. Yeah, I agree. And it's certainly nice, you know, even in situations where like Draneth Magistrate is not in play, just having two commanders for Razaketh, that's hot. Yeah. Yeah. So on lo loyal retainers then. So we're getting there. So you're playing this over necromancy. Um what does this do that necromancy doesn't do? Dodges Swan Song, Fierce Guardianship, Force of Negation, uh <laughs> that's kind of it uh, negate it, it dodges a lot um, of stuff I yeah mean, people don't play negate doesn't see a lot of play i guess it, it's also um better it's much better against swat like sometimes it can get swatted but very rarely right yeah um, there would need to be another legendary creature in your graveyard in your graveyard yeah um which is i mean realistically that means i i think the only one besides the commanders is just it's Villas. The, the two, Villas, the two so, targets that are so totally I, I like, guess, you know. I guess you get got. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, you, you know, like consolation prize. Or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so so it dodges, I guess, SWAT, uh, Guardianship, Force of Negation, Swan Song. It, you know, there's probably other stuff. I guess Ranger Captain or something like that. But Right, um, well. It's just like very of. difficult to counter. Um, is, right. is the sort of primary use case. Um, and so, like, uh, typically the deck, 
you know, when you do like a survival line, you would, you know, you discard a mana dork, you find Razaketh, you discard Razaketh, you find um, Spellseeker. It's like, that's what's in the main list, and then Spellseeker just finds a reanimate. Um, so, so like, Loyal Retainers over Necromancy dodges some stuff, but Loyal Retainers over Reanimate actually dodges, like, infinitely more stuff. And mm-hmm. when you're setting up some sort of survival line, that's the comparison you're making, right? Um, because because the way you get Razaketh out of the bin with survival is Spellseeker for Reanimate. So then it's not just Swan Song, Guardianship, SWAT, and, like, Force of Negation. Then it's also... Um, like fl- then you add like Flusterstorm, um, you add in Miscast, you just add in like a whole b- misstep, like all of these things, um, that can counter reanimate that that don't touch loyal retainers. And if you're doing Spellseeker, you can also get blasted. So, right. so like Spellseeker for reanimate basically gets countered by every counter spell that sees play in the format, with the exception of Dispel. Oh yeah, I think like creature-based win conditions are so. And loyal, loyal retainers gets countered by force of will and mana drain, and like counter spell in decks that are running it, and packed if your opponents can pay for a pack. Right. Yeah, and and that's a tall order in a lot of at a lot of points in the game. Um, you know, like I can speak from the experience of putting Derevi on the stack pretty often. That like I'm not usually worried about it resolving. I'm worried more about you know the removal that comes after. Um, you know, what's pretty cool is that Loyal Retainers often dodges that, right? Um, yeah. If you're doing it in your first main phase. So that's cool. Uh, and I think even people playing, like, sort of more turbo nozzle oriented strategies now are playing a lot more uh, Grand Abolisher and Ranger Captain of Eos. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah, Ranger Captain. Um, and, and so there's just kind of this, like, general understanding. You had it right the first time. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, there's this general understanding that people now have that like creatures are just like so much harder to interact with. And if they can be very, a very powerful part of your game plan, that's just great. Right. Like it's just dodges so much of the interaction in the format. Yeah. I, I also think that like not knowing that I was on loyal retainers, probably, you know, when I said earlier, like people's inexperience in letting survival of the fittest resolve. Um, I think not knowing I was on loyal retainers probably contributed to that in some part because if they're thinking like oh i have this swan song well you know swan song counters reanimate and like maybe somebody has something better or like you know i can get away with not using my swan song here it's a threat later who knows doesn't have a creature any number of things could come up that would make them not have to stop a reanimate on razaketh um but then when the situation comes up and you know they're ready with their swan song for reanimate um, or their fierce guardianship, or whatever it is, and then you go like, "All right, discard Razaketh." You know, it's the end step. You go discard Razaketh. I'll find loyal retainers, and they go like, "Wait, what does loyal retainers do again?" Like, <laughs> oh, oh no! And and there's um, like so many lines of play that just play around interaction. I think like almost fully, right? Like where if you have um, loyal retainers in play, and then you also like manage to put um shoot what's the blue two drop with the, that's the discard outlet ghostly pilfer uh, yeah ghostly pilfer like you, you play out ghostly pilfer and like you're just dodging pretty much like all the possible interaction that they have yeah, at like, like various points 
being in the situation where you're like, oh, I have to red out, like, I have to red elemental blast a ghostly pilferer or, like, gamble on there being a Razaketh in play. Right. Is, like, such a rough situation for your yeah. opponents. And you can set that all up with, with survival of the fittest too, right? Turns out survival of the fittest is a good magic card. Yeah, I think uh you know, I I know for a fact that that spleen or sorry that sick wouldn't disagree with you whatsoever. I think that's probably like his favorite magic card possibly also, of all yeah. time. It, it just Hulk. like it just like blows my mind. Because this is this is oh my gosh. Not I, I'm not going to go off topic here too much. Uh-huh. Um it just this is an example though in my mind of this like recency bias people have had with oh well reds reds overtaking green and i'm like no 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 like i mean green is still really good yes it hasn't had a good year or two but green is still insane yeah i mean there's certainly you know as you said we probably shouldn't get into the red versus green argument but right. um, yeah, I think that I think that survival of the fittest is a card that's it's like, I mean, I have a healthy healthy respect for this card after playing just way too many games against Hulk. Right. Um, <laughs> but I think yeah, this is a card that, in my experience playing uh, this deck, people do not give the respect it deserves, um, especially in a world where both Hull Breacher and Opposition Agent have been printed because yep. like that's that's been game winning so many times. Like you just have four mana open, you know, worst case scenario you're activating Thrasios and you have survival of the fittest in play and your opponents go like, okay, if I try to draw cards or tutor, I'm getting God here. Like you don't even have to find and cast either of Opposition Agent or Hull Breacher. It just the fact that you could get them at instant speed. Right. Um, yeah, it's like you can't let that card resolve. And also, like, you kind of, like, you know, depending on what your interaction is, you might just, like, not be allowed to let your opponent tutor for it. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just that powerful. Like, and like in the whole days, one card win condition. You know? And yeah. Like, but, like, I think also people, for example, if you play it, if you go, like, turn one land dork, turn two survival. It's like... As your opponent, knowing that you're not winning at least that turn, or, like, you can generally assume if someone has a one mana open and they're casting a survival of the fittest, they're not about to win the game. Um, it's like, if if it's turn two and you played, like, some mana or something, or a tutor or a cantrip on turn one, looking at your hand and being like, I have to force of will this. Like, I think a lot of people, some I think somewhat justifiably, like really, really don't want to do that. <laughs> well, I, I don't know that right. about forcible, right? Because at least forcible is flexible enough to counter the follow up. But sure, you know, sure. But I'm saying Swan like, Song is looks pretty. Rough. Assuming you have, assuming you have Swan Song open for like my turn two, right? Like right, yeah. yeah. If which it comes down of, under your counter magic. There's not a whole lot you can do about that. Which like it, it really definitely can. There were there were games where like I just went, I looked at my hand and went like. You know, I had either Vampiric or Enlightened Tutor and a Dork, and it was like, all right, this is pretty easy, right? Turn one, land Dork. Turn two, upkeep the Tutor, slam Survival. Um, you know, people tapped out on turn one. Profit. 
and then and then like it's just this massive threat that you know you can take in a bunch of different directions starting on turn three right i mean it's a little bit like uh a little bit like um you know the old turn one land dork turn two upkeep the tutor for flash or hulk and then just right um where where like you have this turn one that looks very non-threatening and then turn two you establish i mean obviously winning the game is better than landing a survival of the fittest but um you just land like this enormous threat when like that in the future will make it very difficult to interact with you and you're landing it when people are not prepared to interact yeah and it provides again like so much resiliency to your deck uh to your game plan because you know even if you go you know sort of we can say all in to some extent on like, you know, binning a Razaketh and then like getting a loyal retainers and like imagine a world where somehow that gets stopped. You know, you still have this engine in play. <laughs> yeah. Then you're like, okay, well, you know, I guess maybe my next creature, I mean, either I can go for spell seeker for, for spell seeker, dragon, yeah. or I can just like, I'll just grab a whole breacher an opposition agent or like right. collector for, I mean, even guilted Drake, like, and just taking, you know, some, like if you have Timna out, and Thrasius out, and then you just, like, guild a drink of Krom or something? Like, yes, please. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason why it's banned in Legacy, folks. Yeah. The good reason. So, <laughs> so, here, so, last thing we'll talk about here is that finals game. Um, and just kind of take us through how all of that went for you. Um, you know, because you were... Going, I'm trying to remember. You were fourth in turn order. Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I believe he was second. Actually, I think I was second. We're yeah. second. I, was just, I couldn't I was remember. Just okay, in the like the the turn order on cockatrice is okay. It is the bottom like, left. Top, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. Well, so I, I mean, if you want, I can go through the other games. I do have like I wrote down sort of a summary of each game. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Walk us through them. Yeah, so so um, my first game I was playing against uh, Urza, Brego, and Yisan, um, and I just like my hand was just kind. I looked at the pot and went, "I'm probably not gonna die on like turn three or earlier." Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like pretty happy to just play like dorks into Timna into Thrasios. Um, my hand had, I think it it had like two dorks. Um, some interaction, and then uh, I believe it was a mystical tutor, um, which leaves you, like, pretty live to finding something. Like, there's a bunch of things that quasi-combo with mystical tutor, right? If you draw any of your reanimation, then you can just find Entomb. If you draw, like, Oracle, you can uh, you can just grab Consults. Or, like, if you draw Consult, then you can get, like, Neoform to turn a dork into an Oracle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like, basically I just need to draw like one live card. Um, right. and I have a bunch of interaction and like these decks are unlikely to kill us early. Um, the, the Bregel player tried to play an Aethersworn Canonist and the Urza player wound up spell snaring it, which I was like pretty, <laughs> I was pretty happy about both of, <laughs> both of those plays to be honest. Yeah. Um, like there being an Aethersworn Canonist in play would have been annoying, but also I would have felt like very safe. Um, but then it getting countered meant that there was, like, one less piece of interaction in Urza's hand, and 
I didn't have to worry about trying to win through it. Um, right. And then on turn three, I was going first, and on turn three, the Yisan player, uh, I think rather than playing Yisan, played a collector oof. Oh, baby. Uh, yeah, and I was like, <laughs> okay, I don't have any artifacts in play, and my opponents are both on, like, Let's go. on super heavy <laughs> artifact decks. Um, the Brago player tapped out to develop something, I forget what. Um, and then, so I... Uh, by that point, I had drawn a Demonic Tutor, so I just end-stepped the Mystical for Consult, uh, untapped Demonic Tutor for Oracle, uh, win, and I didn't even really have to use my uh, the interaction that I'd been holding on to. Um, so I was, I was 1-0. Match 2 uh, was a bit of a stacks ball until uh, I was almost out from under all the stacks, and then the server crashed. So, uh, you know, the game ended in a draw because... <laughs> Server crashed. Um, Yay. uh, Match three, another server crash. Um, So, yeah, the tournament was a a little bit rocky at the start. Uh, I definitely had some sympathy for the tournament organizers just trying to deal with, like, two. And they were spaced just far enough apart that, um, like, I I think the first one was about 45 minutes after the second one. So after the first one, they said if your game was less than 45 minutes, like, they're 90-minute rounds, right? Or, or you have a 90-minute game time limit um, because they're fluid rounds. So they said if it's right. less than 45 minutes old, you just have to restart uh, and like play another game from the start. But if it's more than 45 minutes old, you can just agree to draw and like then go back into the queue and get paired again against new opponents. Um, and basically, both of my matches were like just about 45 minutes old when the... Uh, like when the server crashed. So, you know, that meant we had just enough time to get deep into a second game and then the server crashed again. Um, so, yeah, th- two draws due to server crashes. Um, and then uh, my my fourth match, uh, I was playing against Najila, Tayem, and Goto. Was this the triple Najila game? No, no, no. Uh, that was my okay. sixth match. Um Oh, and and I just I was going second, and I just I had a hand that had a blue source of crypt and a twister. Um, nice, we love. I was just like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, sometimes we take those. Um, so I think the tie-in player was going first. I think he just played a dork, um, and then I went all right, land land crypt twister. Uh, the Najila player actually just drew zero lands, and I think he discarded to hand size for two or three turns in a row, uh, which you know. Not the greatest, like that's not how you want to win, but uh, right, you do want to win, so sometimes you take those. Um, oh, yeah, we take those. I mean, it's a yeah, tournament, so so I uh, I just assembled, um, I had some, I think I had animate dead in my hand, um, and then the tie in player put out an aura of silence, and then I found a reanimate, but then he put out an eidolon of rhetoric, um. And I had Razaketh in my hand, um, so I, I just developed my commanders. I played uh, Ghostly Pilferer, um, which let me... I discarded the Razaketh and then reanimated it with like a bunch of mana and creatures in play and just passed. Um, and then in the end step, uh, I destroyed the Aethersworn Canonist from the Tyem player, and he had an opposition agent, but um, the way he tapped... I, I was Assassin's Trophying the Canonist, and it turned out that he didn't have a basic swamp in his deck. 
Um, oh, jeez. So could not cast the opposition agent. Um, and, he, and like, if he had, I, I would have had to, like, I could have untapped and dealt with it, but, um, you know, Najila was locked out. Goto is not interacting with Razaketh, Oracle, or Consult. Um, right. And, and the tie-in player, you know, had sort of, his his way of stopping it was all the stuff that was on board that I was able to sort of get through. Um, Tutor a bunch of times to answer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that generally works. Um, so then I was 2-0-2. Oh, um, match 5, uh, I decided to play Thrasios and Vile Smasher just to, like, you know, shake things up a little bit. Um, and I kept a hand that was uh, turn 1 land Imperial Seal pass, uh, turn two, play the mana crypt that I tutored for, and then play two, two mana rocks. Um, and then I had Limdul's Vault, so it was uh, just like a, you know, I was going to untap turn three, having Limdul's Vaulted in with six mana available to me. Um, and I was playing, sorry, I was playing against another Najila player. There was a lot of Najila this tournament. Um, the first Sliver, and then Thrasios Krark. Um, after my turn two, the Najila player just, uh, tried to consult, but got countered by Thrasios Krark. Um, and then the food chain player tried to jam food chain and the Thrasios Krark player made a comment about which counter spell he was going to use, um, on, on the food chain. And so I was going like, Hmm, I don't necessarily want to just be jamming like a win attempt unprotected into uh yeah this crowd plus potentially pieces of interaction that could have been Um, the sickest bluff though yeah it and um it also like it's possible that i could have tried to you know go around whatever counter magic he had but um he had i i know he had uh like he used a swan song to stop the the consult, and then he used a fierce guardianship to stop the food chain, and then he was gonna untap between the food chain player's turn and mine, um, which just made me like even more concerned about right. Like now, you know, he he made a combo with multiple counter spells when he was tapped out. Now he's not tapped out. Um, mm-hmm. So I ended up the Limdul's vault, and then I found my. It was kind of a weird pile, so I found uh, Soul Ring. Consult, Breach, Vamp Tutor, and something. And my hand at this point was Phantasmal Image and Notion Thief. Um, okay. So I figured, okay, I'll wait. Uh, what I was trying to do was essentially draw into the... Like, I wanted the Consult and the Breach. Um, so I put the Soul Ring on top, and I was going to play Soul Ring, play Thrasios, and pass holding up either a Thrasios activation or a Notion Thief. Um, but the Soren got misstepped, so I just didn't cast Thrasios. Um, the Food Chain player, uh, he tried to Gitaxian probe my one card. Um, and, uh, I <laughs> Notion Thiefed his, his card draw, so he had literally one card in hand. Um, yep. Oops. Snap, snap off that Notion Thief. Yeah, um, which, <laughs> like, I only needed to draw one card, right? Because I was drawing Consult and then right. uh, Breach. Um, the, At least he got to see the card, right? Yeah, he got to see my Phantasmal Image. You don't get yeah. to see the card. The draw's after the look. Um, but uh, the 
Thrasios Krug player, so the turn before he tried to cast a Jeska's Will and lost his Krug flip. Um, this turn he tried to cast, uh, oh my god, what's the card? A Blazing Volley, which is deal one damage to each creature your opponents control. Um, and so, like, I mean, it's pretty good with Krug, right? If you win the flip, it's it's like a one-sided Pyroclasm. Um, and he actually, he lost the flip three times in a row, uh, which was kind of unlucky for him. Um, but, uh, I don't think it would have mattered, so I, I untapped, I played the Breach, um, the Breach resolved, which immediately led me to thinking that he just didn't have anything, um, and then I was able to play Phantasmal Image copying the Najila player's Oracle, and then I consulted, and the Breach meant that if my consult had been countered, uh, I could have played consult out of the graveyard again. Uh, which luckily I did not need to. Um, so so I was three zero and two, and that was that put me in second place uh, in the standings, and uh, with um, comedian like Ian, uh, he was in first because he was four and zero, um, and so I was looking at the standings, and essentially I did the math and went, if I queue up again and I win, uh, I'm in first, which means I get to skip the semifinals. Um, and if I lose, I'll still be in the top 13, like, pretty comfortably. So, basically, there's there's very little risk here. Um, so I queued up against Najila, Najila, and Kinnan. And uh, I kept a two-land and dork opener. And uh, the Kinnan player wound up on turn two phantasmal imaging a Najila. So both Najila players cast their Najilas on turn two, as Najila players do. Um, well, they can't cast it on turn one, obviously. Um, and so there were three... Yeah, you know, Pongo would know nothing about that because he's always playing it on turn one. Yeah. Uh, I was staring down three Najilas, um, which was a, a little bit of a spooky experience. Um, and then... The Najila player who was going first uh, found Derevi and just was like, um, it was the classic, like their one mana short of the win on like their first attack. Um, Cause I guess it was a turn three Derevi. Um, right. So they attacked, they got in. Um, I pointed out to them that they could kill, um, they could kill the, the phantasmal image Najila with a, with, like, the combat damage trigger. So they, they untapped enough mana to, like, represent interaction, and then um, they killed the Phantasmal Image Najila. I uh, end-step mysticaled for Neoform, which, like, keep in mind that I'm on two lands and a dork here, and I, like, I hadn't drawn a third land, and I'm putting a non-land card on top of my deck. And not only that, but it's a neo form, which means I'm also sacrificing my dork. Um, but basically, I just looked at the board state and went like, I don't think anyone else is going to deal with this Derevi. Um, so I wound up neo forming for a Gilded Drake. Um, so I took the I took the Derevi, which at least let me untap. So I was holding up two mana. Um, like I attacked with Thrasios and untapped the land, um, which was I guess nice. Um, and then in my next turn, I went, or before my next turn, I cast a Tainted Pack. The first card I hit was Entomb, and I even had, I forget what it was, but I had some sort of reanimate 
spell in my head. I think it was Animate Dead. Um, and, like, so originally my plan with the hand was just, like, Mystical for Entomb, and then Entomb Animate Dead is a win. Um, mm-hmm. But then uh, one of the Najila players played a Deathrite Shaman. So I was like, well, I guess <laughs> this is not really a plan anymore. So I, I literally wound up Tainted Pacting. Um, I ran over the Entomb, and then I took a Hallowed Fountain. Um, which I think was also, like, a very... It, it wound up working out very well, because my opponents... Like, it it really made me look like not a threat, right? Like, my board is two lands, Thrasios, and a Derevi. Um, and I'm here I am, like, spending a tutor to find a land. Um... So I played the Hallowed Fountain and I cast Timna. And then I attacked. I got to untap two lands and draw two cards. Um, and then I found a Gaia's Cradle. So then... Um, you love to see yeah, it. it was, so then the next turn I played the Cradle and then Spellseeker. And I Spellseeker for Cyclonic Rift. Because um, at this point the, the Najilos were like you know, they amassed some amount of warriors. Like, I think one of them had five and one of them had, like, two or three. Um, and I was going, like, this is... We're getting to the point where, like, manual activations are just going to start gonna becoming there. more and more of a problem. Um, so I just found the Cyclonic Rift and then used Derevi triggers on Cradle to overload Cyclonic Rift mid-combat. Um, and then, while they were all rebuilding on their... Uh, like, I... And then with my extra man, I activated Thrasios, drew cards up Najila, and then literally wound up discarding Razaketh to hand size now that the Deathrite Shaman had been bounced. And then uh, on my next turn, I just untapped, reanimated it, and uh, we got Did your thing? Did did my thing. Um, so yeah, I guess that brings us to the finals pod, and I guess we can, we can link them. I don't think I was covered for any of the pods before the finals pod. Um but I admittedly, I just skimmed through the stream, so they may have hopped into one of my games at one point. But um, we can link at least the stream VOD for the finals pod. Um, yeah. I, I, so uh, as was said, uh, I was going second, and um, my opener was like a little bit of a weird one. Um, I I was definitely like planning on being on the survival plan because I think I had loyal retainers naturally. I think it was loyal retainers enlightened tutor was like how I was planning on sort of winning that game. Um, so I played the loyal retainers first. Um, and then uh, Ian, who was playing, he was playing Rogue Silas, was like warning people about, like, oh, he, you know, he can just entomb. Um, but uh, then in the end step, I found the survival of the fittest, which resolved. And I think that, I think someone had a counterspell and I think letting it resolve was... Uh, a bit of a mistake, but um, there was a deafening silence from one of the Najila, or sorry, from the Najila player. Um, the sorry, the decks were Rogue Exiles Najila and Kodama Sakashima. Um, yep. And so there was there's a deafening silence, um, which I guess probably meant people like people were thinking that it would be difficult for me to win through, which it, they were right. Um, so I landed the survival, and then I just did an end step like Tudor and Bin Razaketh. Um, I wound up getting Gilded Drake, and then someone pointed out after the fact I should have just got the Thassa's Oracle. Um, be- luckily, it, it wasn't too big of a deal because um, 
I had an extra mana dork, which meant that I could, like, so I went for an Oracle Consult when it got countered, um, but then I just replayed a mana dork, so at least I had, like, a, uh, an instant speed tutor for interaction if I needed it. Um, but obviously if I just gotten the Oracle, I wouldn't have had to sacrifice my mana dork in the first place, which probably would have been better. Um, and then Ian had been trying to, uh, he'd been trying to resolve, he had a hull breacher who was trying to resolve a time twister. Um, the turn before he cast it and, uh, Kodama Sakashima had played, um, Venser. And like, there was an interesting discussion about whether he should Venser the time twister or Venser the... Uh, hull breacher and he wound up venturing the time twister and so he was saying after the game that essentially his hand um his hand like it had phantasmal image and something else and so he was essentially looking at his hand and going i can just win the game with the cards i already have and it like so i don't want to you know take the chance of drawing a fresh seven and maybe not being able to win the game um Right. So, uh, but then the Najila player played a Dranith Magistrate, which sort of locked him out of winning pretty hard. Um, like almost entirely or entirely? Entirely, <laughs> yeah. Without, without an like, opponent intervening? He had, yeah, he had to, or he had to remove the Dranith himself. Um, I guess, yeah, I, he had Venser, so I suppose he did yeah, have so, it out. So my, my, uh, my Oracle Consult attempt got stopped, and then uh, Ian untapped, and then he just tried to replay the Twister again. Um, but that got, uh, that got countered by the Najila player. Um, and then, um, there was another sort of interesting discussion about an end step. Um, the Sakashima Kodama player cast a court of calling for four and then people were talking like, okay, he can get a clone. Um, you know, he can copy like my Razaketh, which was like, pretty scary but so my hand was gilded drake and mental misstep and then i had an instant speed tutor because i had a creature in play so i was sort of thinking like through the deafening silence i think i'm actually like pretty safe here um so i let it resolve and like he he'd said he wasn't gonna copy razaketh um which i found interesting but basically i was thinking like no matter what he gets here um like, I think I can stop myself from dying. And if somebody else wants to interact with it, good for them. Um, and also with a Gilded Drake in hand, there being a Kodama in play was, like, somewhat appealing. Um, and so it turned out his line was going to be, he had the mana, he was going to play Kodama, and then he had Energy Tap to make a bunch of mana. And then he was going to play Sakashima, copying Kodama, and then put out Phantasmal Image, copying Razaketh. And... I don't exactly know how, but I'm very confident that two Kodamas and a Razaketh wins the game. <laughs> yeah, like, it they, checks out, you know. <laughs> just, you have two Kodama triggers for eight for up to eight drops off the Razaketh coming in. You tutor you a just, Zagana, draw a bunch yeah, of cards. Yeah, you know, so like, <laughs> draw, draw nine cards. Question mark, question mark, question mark, yeah, profit. Yeah, profit, profit yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but luckily, uh, Energy Tap gets Mental Misstepped. Um, so that, like, it, it worked out even better than I had honestly hoped. Like, I was thinking I'm probably going to have to sacrifice this dork and go find, uh, you know, go find some sort of interaction and stop him. And then he cast an energy tap, and I was like, oh, well, misstep just deals with that straight up. Um, 
leaving me with my dork to tutor with Razaketh and this Gilded Drake. Um, so then I untapped, I drew a land, I played it, and then immediately realized I was an idiot because I could have won if I had Gilded Drake the Kodama first and then played the land because I could have put in a Lion's Eye Diamond without spending my non-creature spell through the Deafening Silence. Um, but I didn't, so I wound up Gilded Draking the Hull Breacher, and then I just tutored my own uh, my own Time Twister and cast it. Um, and then we let the turn cycle go around because of the Deafening Silence, but, you know, with a, bu- like a bunch of creatures that I'd found in play and a Hull Breacher and a Razaketh and some treasures... I was pretty confident that I wasn't going to be dying. Uh, and then I was able to untap and just go for consult. My opponents didn't have cards in hand. Well, let's not forget nice. that there was a Villas that joined the party, I think, at some yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I found Villas um, and I put it into play just to, like, you know, draw more cards. And it actually wound up working quite well because um, the Kodama Sakashima player played as Sakashima and copied the Gilded Drake um because i'd taken kodama from him with it uh he copied the gilded drake and tried to take my razaketh and then villas was able to just kill the gilded drake um and so uh yeah that was uh how that game ended but the the line that i found was uh it was quite a fun one because it involved um using like doing a bunch of stuff on top of i would have cast thrasios and then um cast a flash creature which I would sacrifice to get Eternal Witness to put in off a Kodama trigger um, because I wanted to get Oracle and Consult out of my graveyard so the line the line that was winning was like uh, Gilded Drake the Kodama sacrifice my dork to get Lion's Eye Diamond play the dork or, or sorry play the land and put out the Lion's Eye Diamond cast Thrasios over top of the trigger crack the Lion's Eye Diamond Sack Thrasios to get, uh, like, Opposition Agent or Hull Breacher. Uh, sack them and use their Kodama... Tr- and get Eternal Witness, which I put in off their Kodama trigger. Uh, which buys back one of the... Which buys back Oracle. Um, sack the Eternal Witness to get an Animate Dead, which I would have put in off of Thrasios's Kodama trigger. Uh, which is, like, why I had to do the weird flash thing over top of it get back the Eternal Witness, buy back the Consult, and the Eternal Witness Kodama Trigger puts in the Oracle. Um, but I played my land and then went, that was dumb, and so I had to go for the whole Breacher line. And then you won the next turn. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Hull Breacher Twister um, is a winning position, barring some very, very strange things happening. But yeah, with the Razaketh in play too. Yeah, with, with the Razaketh in play, it's uh, it's you know, even more locked up. And uh, yeah, the I think the only deck that had real outs was the uh, Kodama Sakashima deck because, um, you know, it can win like kind of without casting spells some amount of the time, which was why right. I actually spent a decent amount of effort on my turn to kill off my own Gilded Drake and then buy it back and replay it to take the Kodama. Because I was just sort of thinking, um, if I, like, if he doesn't have Kodama, then, like, I don't have to worry nearly as much about, like, something scary being, like, somehow cheated in off a Kodama trigger, and then, like, I hadn't interacted on time, um, 
was like what I was worried about. And so just taking the Kodama um, severely reduced the risk of that in my mind. Right. Well, that is honestly like, first of all, it's very impressive because you were able to see lines that I don't think most people would have seen um, there in that, that end um, ending pot air in the finals. Uh, but also just the performance you put up was just very good overall and uh, very proud of you, my friend. Well, thank you. Um, so, but um, that about, you know, kind of as we're wrapping things up here, um, when you're, if you had to give one piece of advice to somebody who's wanting to go into these tournaments and do well, um, what would your sage advice be um i guess it would be uh know your enemy like i think people put a lot of emphasis on like knowing your deck and all the ins and outs of it and finding those like you know those like one percent lines where it's like oh this is the weirdest edge case and like you know what to do and obviously like you pick up percentage points that way um I'm not denying that, but I think that, uh, the amount that of percentage points that you can gain by getting, you don't even need like a super intricate familiarity, but just like a sort of mid-level understanding of more or less what every other deck is trying to do. And like, yeah, you'll, you'll find some oddball decks and like, you won't sort of know them, but, uh, at least for the stuff that you can sort of predict that you're going to encounter, if you generally understand their basic game plan and what sort of threats to watch out for, um, I think that's like something where you can get a lot of, um, just a lot of like advantage. Um, Cause I've seen people like, sometimes it doesn't help me. And sometimes it does, you know, they interact with like, in my mind, the wrong things, like things that aren't actually that threatening right. out of a certain deck, but appear threatening. Um, and then they let things that are threatening through. And like, I'm certainly, you know, I don't shy away from like pointing things out. Um, that's so, and like, so when I do point things out, essentially I get to like, I get to take advantage of my opponent's mistakes. Um, but if I sort of catch them and can convince someone, then, my opponents don't get to take advantage of each other's mistakes the same way because I, you know, like if someone's, if you can get someone to like change their threat evaluation and like, usually, you know, you can, when you're talking about other people's cards, you can like change that at least a bit, especially if you say that something's like not a huge threat, um, then then, like, people often listen to that because, like, as a general rule, it's in your interest to have your opponents be too quick to interact with each other. So when you say, like, don't do that, people tend to listen because it's not something that, like, it makes sense to lie about generally. Right. Um, so, yeah, you can, like, help your opponents make... When it benefits you, you can help your opponents make good decisions. And then when it doesn't benefit you, you can just stay quiet. Um, right. And, uh, and I think that that's like in many ways a lot easier than 
playing the same deck for, you know, a thousand games or like just playing just so many games that, you know, like every in and out of the deck or the format or whatever, um, just sort of spending the time to look at the 10 or 20 sort of most popular decks, the things that, you know, if, if you were like, what am I going to run into the things that you would like take bets on? Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like, would you bet that there's a Najila deck at the tournament? Like, yes, of course you would take that bet. Would you bet that there's a Goto deck at the tournament? Yes, you definitely would. Like, would you bet that there's like a Marwin deck? Like, uh, there might be, there might not be, you know, like who knows? Um, but you know, the, the decks that you are confident you will encounter, if you just sort of know how they play a little bit, um, it's pretty easy to, to pick up wins that like other people, uh, other people wouldn't get in, a, in, in certain circumstances. Right. No, it makes sense. Well, uh, I appreciate you, uh, being willing to sit down. You know, I know we really had to twist your arm for this. Um, but you know, as always, I, it's always a good time getting to play magic with you and, sit down and chat and just kind of hear your insights uh, on the game. Pongo, do you have anything before we leave? Um, no, I, I, that sounds, that about wraps it up for me. Yeah. Well, that about wraps things up for all of us here today. Just a quick reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at Sculpty Boys, or you can find a direct link in our link tree in the description below. want to give an extra shout out to all of our patrons who help keep the lights on. If you too would like to become a patron, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the mind sculptors or check out the link in the description. Thank you again for joining us this week. And from all of us here at the mind sculptors, I'm Callahan and we'll see you next time.